joined as always alongside my two co-hosts and nick robinson i don't know why it just feels like we haven't done a show in quite some time maybe that's just because there's been so much news since we finished our last our last show and we're going to get into all that news but before we do that uh, i want to remind everyone to download both the barn burner and zingo tv app available on both ios and android devices zingo tv is also available on chromecast amazon fire and fire tv sticks roku and roku sticks also on all smart tvs 2016 forwards so when we finished our last show there were still plenty of big fish on the market and i guess there still are some pretty big fish on the market but the two bigger ones, notably defensemen, signed a couple days after we finished our show. Well, the one right after we finished our show. And then there were a couple of trades. So let's uh, let's jump right into it. Actually, sorry. How are you guys doing? How are we doing today? I'm good, Pat. Good. good. How are Thanks you Thanks for asking. Good. Good. I can't, uh, can't jump in until I know how we're doing. All right. So let's start with the St. Louis Blues. And this one was kind of a shock because I think we knew there were some talks, but nothing really legitimate that people thought this was like an actual possibility. And that was Tori Krug. So he signed seven years, 6.5 average contract with St. Louis blues. I think from there on out, everyone was just assuming that Petrangelo was done probably going to Vegas um, at that point. This seems like it almost seemed rush or it seemed like, I don't really see the point for St. Louis because I feel like Petrangelo fit the mold. And I feel like they could have moved other pieces and fixed other areas before just jumping right to sign Krug. What do you guys think of the signing? Uh, I don't mind it personally because obviously losing Petrangelo, which it looked very apparent that it was going to happen at this point, they had not lost Petrangelo yet technically, but I think we all sort of knew it was coming. And we talked about that last week a lot. I think signing Krug immediately addresses a need for a good puck moving defenseman. Tory Krug is that, you know what you're getting with him. He's a brilliant offensive producer and you know, one of the better offensive defensemen in the National Hockey League. He also, I, the cost is pretty okay for me as well, which, you know, those two things considered that you're getting a good player at a good cost, I think is good. And uh, the term may be a bit iffy with seven years, but that's that's the price to pay for big free agents on the open market. So I do think it definitely does address a need for St. Louis. I don't think it necessarily fills the hole that Petrangio left because I think he's quite a bit better than Krug, but this is a good step for St. Louis. Luke, what do you think? Yeah, I'll like, I I agree with Nick. um, And I I should say that I was, pardon me, I was away from any kind of Twitter or internet for like four days. So coming back, it was hard to kind of get back to, to kind of place how things happen. Like you can see the list of stuff, but a lot of stuff happened. But just from from that objective standpoint, I don't like. I, I agree with think. I really don't mind mind what they did. Um, yeah, I think we're all in agreement that he's no Petrangelo. But for this, for the for the context and the situation that they were in, like like Nick just finished it, they're moving in the right direction. That's a step they need to take. Um, and I'm I'm assuming you know, however long this offseason is, it's only the beginning. I, I, I like that deal. I wouldn't really have too much to criticize. I, any seven-year deal, obviously, is going to be like, yeah, who knows? But it's not like it's not like they're paying him a whole whack load of money. So, yeah, I don't have any problems with it. I guess the concern that I've read from Blues fans, because now they're up against the cap, they have $0 in space, according to Cap Friendly, um, was – they signed Justin Falk last year to basically the exact same deal, the exact same AAV. And you're getting not a, I don't want to say you're getting a similar player, but you're 
Well, yeah, yeah. There, there are similarities, similarities with Vince Dunn and Tory Crude, the way they both, both shoot left, the way they move the puck. And I think a lot of people were worried, are now worried, because Vince Dunn's a UFA. He's one of the more underrated defensemen in the league, in my opinion. And now people are worried that you might not have enough money for Vince Dunn. And is it worth signing Krug this long term if you are going to lose someone like Vince Dunn? What do you guys think? I see that concern definitely, but I think that more so poses a question to the player that you mentioned, Pat, which is Justin Falk. Why did they sign Justin Falk to the contract they did? I think Tori Krug and Vince Dunn are both easily better players than Justin Falk. I don't think, you know, Justin Falk probably is an NHLer, but I don't think he's worth the money that they're paying him nor the term. And he's been one of the more overrated defensemen in the NHL for a while, but you know, that, that is a concern with this now because adding Krug isn't something that should be looked upon negatively because you're right. adding a stud blue liner. Right. But you create negativity in the situation when you have a player like Vince Dunn that now it's going to be difficult to sign him because of some other mistakes that the Blues have made along this way. So the Krug, I think, is definitely a layup and it's a good signing, but they're now going to have to address past mistakes, which is in a contract like Fox or in other spots in their roster. Right. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, just quickly, like, yes, I, I agree with the, with the problem you're presenting there, Patrick, but I don't think, and I think that's what Nick's saying too. I don't think the Krug signing is, is the root of that problem. Definitely right. there's, there's an issue there, but I wouldn't point fingers at the Krug sign saying, Oh, because of this, now we have A, B and C to work out. Right. I'm not, yeah, I'm not pointing out the Krug signing, but it's the fact that they were premature. Like Marco Scandella signed a three-year extension or four year four. Wow. I did not know it was four years, a four-year extension for 3.27 up until 2024. It's that move. It's the Falk move that probably didn't need to be made because if you, it's not about the fact that they signed Krug. That's not a bad move at all. Krug's a fantastic defenseman and he deserves this paycheck. He deserves to go to a good team. But if you lose Vince Dunn, someone can offer sheet Vince Dunn. I know we talk so much about offer sheet, but someone can, can pick him up or trade for his rights. And all of a sudden you lost Dunn and Petrangelo in the same offseason. That's not a fault of Krug. And I agree with you both that it's, it's other, other, uh, mistakes that they made that led to that let's uh but let's keep talking about st louis and, and more towards who is no longer a st louis blues and a blue and that is uh, alex petrangelo i think we all kind of saw this one coming um i don't remember where we bet he would go i think i said toronto i think i was still I betting on stay. boston nick was betting oh, on boston different. okay I said, well i said he'd stay, yeah. he went to uh vegas seven years 8.8 million uh vegas well up against the cap i think they're over the cap at this point um, but this is a really good fit. And the fact that, that, you know, playing with Theodore, uh, can be one of the best pairings in the league starting next year. This is really exciting. And I think it, it's more, I'm more excited about Vegas as a whole, because since they come in the league, they've made it such a fun hockey team, such a marketable hockey team. The fans are crazy and adding, you know, a top 10 defenseman league is pretty exciting. But aside from that, what do you guys think of the contract itself? Luke, we'll start with you. Yeah. Like, yes, it's a good contract and I won't, I won't dive too much into that um this this signing specifically kind of shocked me when i um when i got back to civilization and i kind of caught up because i hadn't really been hearing too much about uh about any vegas rumors um but regardless yeah that's a really good contract pat you're right it's a really it's exciting for the team because like obviously vegas an exciting team in general this just makes it all the more exciting but let's not forget that they can't ice the team that they have on paper right now. Right. Like there's 
that it's it's not over for the Golden Knights this offseason, and I say that in a bad way for them. I don't, I don't know what what's going to happen, but they're going to figure something else and that something else out. Um, pieces are going to move around. So what what you see on you know Vegas's lineup right now isn't what's going to play whenever play happens. Uh, so let's I don't know. Yes, I agree that it's you know Vegas is looking really good, looking really exciting, but I'm you know still holding out to see when they're because they're going to have to come back to earth kind of eventually. So. Well, as is often the case with a lot of our predictions, all three of us were way off the mark with this one. I don't, nobody pegged them going to Vegas here, but I like the fit for Vegas. Obviously, again, like the case with Krug and to a bigger extent now, anytime you're bringing in a player of Alex Petrangelo's pedigree and quality, it's a massive win for any organization. And, you know, that's a huge step for Vegas. I think it was uh, Kelly McCrimmon that said, you have to sign these types of players when they're available. They did. Uh, they acquired Mark Stone and signed him. You know, not often a winger like Mark Stone is available on the trade market. Not often a D-man like Petrangelo is available. This puts Vegas in a big, big mess now cap-wise, especially with the fact that it looks like they're going to be keeping Marc-Andre Fleury after all. So they're going to have to subtract from somewhere. They've got a lot of forwards on big contracts, but I think they're now running the risk of the amount of turnover that they've had in their short stint in the league. And I heard Elliot Friedman, Jeff Merrick had mentioned this. There's been a lot, a lot of turnover there with Vegas compared to any team in the NHL. Do you run the risk of, not being able to sign future free agents because of how quickly these guys are being churned out after signing big extension deals. It's an interesting scenario in Vegas right now, but obviously it shouldn't detract from the big victory that is signing Alex Petrangelo overall. Right. And I think looking at their, their cap situation, luckily for them, they don't have any massive UFAs, like big name UFAs that they have to sign at least in the next couple of seasons. Most of those guys who are UFAs are established veterans. And the ones they do have to sign soon are Thomas Nosek, Alec Martinez, who I, I would assume is, is going to be gone, but it leads to a lot of people to believe, let's say if we were to assume that Mark Stone is untouchable, which I think he is, Petrangelo and Theodore would be untouchable. It's possible. I wouldn't say William Carlson, but someone like Riley Smith, who's making 5.5, Jonathan Marcheseau, who's making 5 million, um, Alex Tuck, who's making 4.7. Those are relatively liquid assets who who can be moved and moved around the league um if vegas if vegas is looking at at moving one of these guys do you think it'll be one of those three or do you think they'll shut off one of the bigger names perhaps a max pacioretty i could see pacioretty being moved on um just because the size of the contract he's on i think marcia so and smith those guys are on such good deals and they're so productive compared to what their salary actually is that i think they'll go for one of the bigger deals like a pacioretty um, you know, obviously, and we'll get to him moving Schmidt was a, that's a pretty big deal to get out from under despite the quality, uh, the qualities that Nate Schmidt brings, but they're going to have to get creative here because, you know, they're not just a little over the cap where they're going to trade one guy and it's fine. They're going to have to trade multiple players here. They're going to have to move multiple guys out to address their cap situation now. So. Yeah. And I think I think Pacioretty is the only guy, at least to me, that kind of stands out out of their, I mean, goaltenders aside, Pacioretty is the only guy that kind of stands out as someone who you would kind of look to, to move everyone else. I like, 
contract wise, both term and and money wise, like nothing really, no massive red flag. So it's 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 an interesting position to be in because it's a it's a really well constructed team, um, you know, for for the next however many years, but they're in kind of a tricky situation right now. So yes, they're going to have to work this out, but but even then. Um, I, I, I don't really know, aside from, again, Patch Ready, I don't really know where you'd look to, to kind of solve right. the problem. Right. I'd say the most liquid assets would be Tuck and Stevenson. But would you want to? No, but that's the thing is like you can move on from two, well, yeah, two good middle sixers or a prime goal scorer. Well, again, that, that goes back to the concern I brought up. Right. They just re-upped those guys. Exactly. And you're running the risk now of baiting players in to re-sign here so they can flip them for good assets exactly when they probably made guarantees to these players. Well, they essentially have by offering them a contract that they're exactly. going to be a golden Knight for X amount of years. So it's a huge, huge risk uh, that Vegas now has. And it's a corner they essentially put themselves into. Yeah. And, and that's the thing they put themselves into a corner, but they're still so good. And they're probably going yeah. to contend again next year. Um, if I were to bet the most easiest predictions to make would be that, uh, Noshik, Reeves, probably Stevenson are the ones that look to move rather quickly. But out of the big names, I think Patrick would be the one that we can probably see moved, obviously retaining some salary because you can't, it's hard to eat um, a full 7 million. Anyway, um, that's exciting though. And I'm excited to see how that fits. I think a, a pairing of Theodore and Petrangelo would be unbelievably exciting. So um, let's uh, let's move on to the, the one none of us predicted. Um, that's Taylor Hall signing with the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, that's right. The Buffalo Sabres. He, that's where he went. And um, funny enough, I actually sent my friend a text because I was hoping he'd sign in Montreal. I sent him a text that day and say, watch him sign in Buffalo, make this all not be worth it. And then five hours later, he signed in Buffalo. Anyway, um, one year, $8 million. Taylor Hall gets to play with Jack Eichel and the Buffalo Sabres can, they landed a a marquee free agent. Uh, Is this, a good choice from for Taylor Hall. What do you guys think? What were your thoughts when it happened, Luke? Yeah, like it. Yes, it's a. It's a bit funny the way it happened. Um, it's a bit. The end result is a bit it, like it kind of. It kind of raises some eyebrows, but like, who can you really blame in this situation? He's a free agent. All these seem like he's he's going to be a very popular free agent because of because of, you know, his, his sort of, he, he hasn't established himself as, um, as he, he's going to get this amount of money, this amount of term, whatever. Buffalo was, was a team that, that reached out to him with that kind of deal. And I see um, in our notes here, Colorado, uh, one times 4 million, Edmonton, one times 4.75 million. Buffalo reached out to him with double that. Who Like, I don't, yeah, it's, it's a bit like, uh but I, I don't blame Hall and I don't blame the Sabres. Um, and to be honest, yes, it's Buffalo, but I, I think a move like this, I, he's, he, there's a good chance, you know, Hall has a phenomenal year and then he, he goes and with Eichel and then he goes and, and, you know, does whatever he wants. But I, I don't really see a bad guy in this situation. It's hard to, it's hard to kind of put into words what how i you know how this is sort of perceived because again it's like a it's a funny spot but i i like it from both sides 
First off, this is going to be a lot of fun watching Jack Eichel and Taylor Hall play yeah. together. I think I think that's the one big takeaway we need from this is what fun it's going to be to see Jack Eichel playing with somebody that can put the puck in the net. And, you know, it's the first time in Jack Eichel's career that he's really had a dynamic winger to get the puck to. And it's the first time, unbelievably, in the career of Taylor Hall that he's got a dynamic number one center to play with. It's a match made in heaven, I think. Uh, in terms of just those two. Uh, in terms of the teams, I'm not sure about the fit. I'm not sure what Buffalo's plan is exactly um, because I'm, we still don't know how the regular season next year is going to work. Maybe they have a better chance at making the playoffs in a different division the, than the Atlantic division. Uh, I still think they're what, probably the fourth or the fifth best team at best in the Atlantic division on paper. Um, you know, they're still a long shot for the playoffs in their own division, despite adding a player like Taylor Hall, just because of how weak everything else in their roster is. Um, I didn't see this fit at all. I don't think any of us really did because it just seemed completely out of left field. Taylor Hall has said he wants to win. And, you know, a couple of months later, he ends up signing for the Buffalo Sabres. It just, that part made no sense to me. Um, just purely based on what Taylor Hall was saying, but uh, you know, I'm excited to see how it works out and I hope it does for Taylor Hall. And one um, year, one year isn't hurting anyone, right? Like it's no, no. Like, and I think you look ahead to next year's free agent class and Taylor Hall is likely the big fish of that class. Now too. Taylor Hall is going to be the big fish of practically any UFA class he's a part of. And he had a pretty not great contract year this year. I think the hope here is that he goes to Buffalo scores, you know, however many points with them over a point per game, say in uh 82 game season, he can score 90 points with Jack Eichel. Well, then he's looking at a much bigger contract next year compared right. to what he would have gotten this year. And I think that's, that's a lot of the hope for Hall. And that, that I understand all of that. And that all makes sense. But the, the issue, not the issue I have with it, cause it's a hundred percent his choice, but it's the fact that he has been emphasizing his, his, the fact that he wants to win. He wants to go to a team that can win. I, I would not look at Buffalo and think that's a winning team. That's a winning roster. That's a winning lineup. It's purely a inflate my point total, sign a bigger contract next season. And that's fine. And that's what a lot of free agents do. And a lot of players, they want a big check, but that's fine. But it's not, I don't think, I don't think you can take someone who says he wants to win seriously. If he does something like that, that's my only thing. And if, if you're, if you're Taylor Hall, you get to play with Jack Eichel and that's fantastic. If you're Buffalo, if for whatever reason Buffalo goes on a run, maybe you re-sign him. Um, otherwise, you lose him in free agency and you have one year of him. But I think there are a lot of people who think this is a selfish move. Not a selfish move, but it goes against what he's trying to say. And I kind of see that because obviously he's not committed to winning. Obviously, he doesn't want to win if he'd go to Buffalo. What do you guys think about that? Do you think he would have won more if he went to Montreal? No, I'm not talking about Montreal. Montreal <laughs> no, no, aside. Was, yeah, but yes, no, that would have been nice because I was refreshing Twitter uh, nervously that day. But um, – I don't think he can say he wants to win. And then yeah, that off. one was that, that was more me just pulling your leg, but um, I was surprised. I thought the fit was there with Colorado. I really thought that's what was going to happen. And I thought that was the play out of all this. Um, you know, it did come out today that he was apparently offered a contract by Colorado um, one year, $4 million region. Again, I can't blame Taylor Hall for taking the 8 million get in Buffalo. Yeah. If those are the offers coming in, Edmonton apparently offered him a little bit more than that. Right. 4.75 million. 
I can't blame him right in the winning versus the winning guarantee versus the not winning guarantee when the financial compensation is that much different. I think $4 million extra in your pocket makes up for that success, you know, go to Buffalo where it can go great or it can go totally wrong for $4 million more than Colorado where it's a guaranteed, likely guaranteed great. I think just financially I can empathize with that mindset that Hall has. And like, I'll, I'll circle back to the term again. Um, yeah, he can say he wants to win, uh, wants to win as much as he wants, but when, when you're doubling, when you're doubling the money offer and it's just for one year, he can do both. He can take right. that offer and then he can, he can still go and win. Right. Yeah. Right. I think we all know he's not going to win in Buffalo and I assume he knows that too, but take the one year deal. Yeah, like you guys said, kind of boost his stats, go into hopefully a better contract year, um, and and then maybe sign a longer term deal. If he had gone to Buffalo on on like a four or more year deal, then I'd be agreeing with you, right. Pat. Like that doesn't make any sense unless he's playing the long game and he, he's putting a lot of stock in Buffalo, which I wouldn't. But uh, no, for one year, I think it's totally fine. Yeah, it might be kind of going back on his word a little bit, but. In, in the context of how it looks like the offers played out, I don't think you could blame them. Right. And that's, that all makes sense. It's just that, because at the time when we weren't aware of the offers, hearing someone say he wants to win and then picking Buffalo does sort of make people question it. And I think the biggest thing when we saw on uh, that day is everyone was anxiously awaiting for the big announcement, Colorado, Nashville, Montreal, uh, and then it's Buffalo. And people weren't even excited. People were just like, not disappointed, but like, oh, really? That's it. And then it was a whole lot of nothing. Anyway, regardless, we'll see how he does. I'm excited for him with uh, with Jack Eichel, and I think the top six they have with Reinhardt and Skinner, and now Eric Stahl. It could be a pretty fun um, offensive top six. Other other needs for Buffalo, like defense, are still something they need to work on, but um, should be pretty exciting. Montreal, uh, the day after they didn't sign Hall, they signed someone else, and Luke. You know this person, Tyler Toffoli, four years, $4.25 million contract. I have no complaints whatsoever. That's a fantastic deal. That's great value for, for a player whose expected contract from Evolving Hockey or Evolving Wild was seven years, 6.25, I believe. So um, what do you guys think about that contract from Montreal? Uh, again, this one, I, I don't know. This one feels a little bit out of left field because I yeah. think a lot of the focus was on the potential of him re-signing in Vancouver. And it felt like that for a while to the point where it almost, I think, surprised a lot of people that he signed with Montreal, myself included. I think this is a really, really good get for Montreal. Toffoli is a really strong um, play driver at both ends of the ice. The salary, like you said, Pat, compared to what he was projected, this is a really good number in term to come in at for the Canadians. And it fills a need. I know they, well, we all know they just added Josh Anderson last week, but now all of a sudden on the wing, you're looking at uh, Anderson, Gallagher, and uh, Toffoli, which is excellent wing depth that, you know, not a lot of teams can boast. You know, Montreal still has, you know, some issues up the center of the ice and, you know, what, ends up happening there remains to be seen but I think at least with their wing group now they can be totally set and comfortable and start to build through the middle of the ice so I think this is obviously a really good move for Montreal to get him at that number in term it makes a lot of sense so I know we're going to get to Vancouver uh, oh, yeah 
shortly and not to make this all about Vancouver, but I want to know, I want to know, I wish I could be a fly on the wall and watch the <laughs> Benning and Toffoli discussions. If there were any, from what I understand, Benning kind of just said, we don't have, we don't have the money for and Toffoli said that too, in his uh, press conference with Montreal. And then he said, you know, goes... he said, he said, you look at Vancouver situation, it wasn't going to work for me. And they made it clear it wasn't going to work. And then he goes and signs that deal in Montreal. So if Benning and Toffoli and nothing against the, the Canadians, but Toffoli made it pretty clear. He really want, he liked the group in Vancouver and he wanted to stay. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I can assume that he was offered, uh, if he would have taken less in Vancouver, regardless, that's a, that's a good contract as it is. So I don't know if Benning offered something around that as well, but uh, yes, that's a, that's a really good deal. It's kind of frustrating to see that happen. And I know, again, we'll get to Vancouver. A lot of things I'm really happy with Benning about a lot of things I'm really not, but strictly uh, speaking. I I think that's the motto for every Vancouver Canucks fan. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Yeah. So, just Back to, to Montreal, though. Yeah, like, Luke, stop stealing it, it, the thunder. It's a good deal. It's a yeah. yeah, it's a really good deal. I think <laughs> it is a good deal. That, that wing depth is is pretty sweet. And yes, uh, whatever. Yeah, it, it caught me by surprise because I thought Anderson was the big move. I didn't. I thought Toffoli would have been the guy if Montreal didn't get Anderson. I thought they were actually looking at him earlier on in the season. I thought he would be sort of their second right winger behind uh, Brendan Gallagher. But now they have Anderson and Gallagher. And it also adds flexibility with Toffoli, who said he's open to playing left wing, or maybe he'll play on the third line uh, as the right winger. I think it's pretty cool. I think people need to tamper expectations. Toffoli is not a pure sniper goal scorer. I think I've seen a lot of people expect him to just come in and score 30 goals. I know he had that 35 goal season and a mid thirties playing with Jeff Carter back in like 2011 or whatever year it was. Um, His production tampered off as LA got older, but then we also saw what he could do with, younger more creative playmakers in Vancouver I think he will be able to score goals but he sort of encompasses what Montreal is and that's a team that generates a ton of chances um, shoots a lot but doesn't always finish and I think Toffoli will score but I don't think he's going to be like that goal scorer that a lot of people are expecting him to be yeah Pat I'll I'll direct a question to you then when you add a player like this now of Toffoli's quality and you add somebody like Josh Anderson like the Canadians have in the past week what does the mandate now become for Montreal is this a ploy by Mark Bergevin to make the playoffs at all costs next year is this him trying to save his job future potentially I I honestly think so and look his contract's up in 2022 and look this is the most active I've ever seen Mark Bergevin at least every summer he does he'll try to get a backup goalie or, or a depth a depth player and maybe a couple I guess the bigger moves, Subban for Weber, uh, Gauchanek for Domi, many of which were lateral, but this is a significant improvement for the Montreal Canadiens. He signed Allen. He traded for Allen and then signed him actually yesterday. Uh, He signed Brendan Gallagher. We'll get into that. And now you look at Montreal, majority of their needs are addressed. The only one I, I can't really understand is the Joel Edmondson one. And I've been vocal about that, but everything else I've been really impressed. He, they got a power forward who can score. They added another forward who can score in Tyler Toffoli. Um, you still have Jonathan Drouin and Nick Suzuki who are expected to have great seasons. Yes, Barry Kakanyemi hoping to continue from his playoff success. I think it is a push and I haven't seen Bergevin this serious um, about, you know, not just making the playoffs, but actually going on a run. I don't think this team can go on a long run and I'm not saying that, but I do think it is a playoff roster. And I think 
look, all reports are he's not done. We could see Thomas Tatar traded. We could see Philip Deneau traded or Philip Deneau extended. But um, yeah, so far, I think it's pretty impressive. And um, again, that looks like three second lines to me who can all sort of score, score by committee. Um, no, they don't have a pure goal scorer, and that's still something they need, but um, they, they will still be able to score, score goals, and that's pretty exciting. Um, another Montreal thing. Sorry, guys. Been super busy this offseason. Um, Brendan Gallagher signed six years by $6.5 million. Uh, just under 24 hours after all of the insiders said that contract talks have broken off, he signed. Um, and this is a fantastic contract that I have no issue with it whatsoever. Gallagher is one of the more underrated right wingers in the league. What do you guys think of this deal? Yeah. Again, I think you can't go wrong building wing depth. Now it's solidified for the next few years. Well, like next bunch of years. Um, obviously we pull up the maps again here from hockey viz similar to Toffoli, Brendan Gallagher is an absolute force at both ends of the ice. And he's been brilliant now for quite some time. And he's one of the more underrated wingers in the league. And, a lot of his value is brought down purely, I think, on his finishing ability. Uh, you know, that seems to be the story of the entire Montreal Canadiens team for the past couple of years. So, you know, maybe now this better mix of wingers, they can find a match for Gallagher so he can get, um, you know, either in better positions to finish or find somebody that can finish for him. So I, I like the deal, um, you know, contract uh, wise in terms of uh, both money and uh, length of the deal I think it works and uh, yeah that's uh, that's pretty much my thoughts on it Luke I like the deal as well um, <clears throat> no issues no issues with the contract but uh, wing depth is great obviously and the Canadians now have lots of it especially on that right side was it necessary after I think I think the Defoley contract was better than the Gallagher contract was it necessary to sign Gallagher after you just kind of, I'd say a steal after you got kind of a steal with Toffoli? I don't know. Like obviously, and I'm not saying the Gallagher contract is bad. Obviously you can't have too much, um, too much, too, too many good things on, on your wings, <laughs> but uh, maybe do I think they should have kind of allocated that money somewhere else? Yeah. Uh, like where? I don't, maybe their defense, maybe, maybe their other, it's just specifically, and I, and I know you can move them around, but signing Toffoli, a right wing. And then when was Toffoli signed Monday? Or uh, yeah. Does it, so. and then yeah Gallagher, it was Monday. It was Monday. Gallagher was yesterday, yesterday. or yeah, yesterday, regardless um, signing Toffoli, a right wing on a really good contract. And then 48 hours later, signing Gallagher, a right wing on another pretty good contract. I don't, I, I maybe would have focused elsewhere, but right. depth, wing depth is good. So no major issues with it. Just a bit funny to me. Well, that's the thing because everyone's saying that, you know, Josh Anderson to Foley and Gallagher are all top six wingers. And now by the looks of it, you're going to have Anderson and Gallagher in the top six and most likely to Foley on the third line. But that's where I think there's definitely someone who's going to be moved now. And one thing that I've, I looking at Montreal's roster that I, that's, pretty good to look at is the fact they have a lot they have a lot of liquid assets they have a lot of contracts that are really movable um like lekanen's making 2.4 me is making 2.6 to is making 
um, 0 0.8. Uh, Byron is making 3.4. And even that to fully contract, if they have to, I think that's a movable contract. There's no, there's no, no move clause, no trade clause or anything like that. 4.25. That's a key. That's a big, yeah. big part of it. I so, think the absolute steal of the contract yeah. is that they have that freedom to move him at some point if it doesn't work. Yeah. So I think I agree with you, Luke. And I think it's kind of weird because all those guys are top six wingers and you don't want to play someone in the bottom six, but the fact that he was, said he was open to playing left wing and the fact that Montreal's other assets that are pretty easy to move. I'm not worried too much. Um, that's all on, on Montreal front. They also signed Allen, uh, extended Allen last night, two year, 2.87. What do you guys think of that? Is that, I think that was too soon. Should he have played a game before Mark Bergevin decided yeah. to extend him? Yeah, I would have played a game. I just think, you know, jumping the gun to commit to Allen, who has at best had a shaky track record, um, is a bit premature. And obviously now with Price and, and Allen, you've got, what, close to 12 and a half, 13 million in goalies. Yeah, it's a it's a bit much. I, I would have waited. I agree. I agree with you there. Yes. I I mean, I don't know what any other options would have been, um, but – yeah, it's it seems it's a it's a minor issue. I think I probably probably should have given it some time, but I don't really know what the alternatives would have been. You probably would have got there eventually, anyways. So, all right, uh, enough of that. We are going to move on to enough the, of that. We are going to move right. on to the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, looking at our doc right now, um, Troy Stetcher signed. Oh no, he didn't. Yeah, yeah he did. He, just not with the Canucks. Just not with the Canucks. Yep. Um, Vancouver told him to wait around as they pursued other options. Uh, he did not wait around. Let's just get right to it. Um, Chris Tanev leaves RIP. Good locker room guy. Um, Nate Schmidt was traded to Vic. Hey, let's, okay, let's, we'll get to Stetcher and Tanev later, but let's start with Nate Schmidt. That's a good trade. Benning did a good, a good thing. Well, here's the thing. I don't think, I think you kind of have to address Stetcher and Tanev. Uh, First? Okay. So Stetcher. So here's, here's the thing. Here's the deal. Here's the lowdown. Um, Benning, I really happy he stood he stood back on Ekman Larson on Markstrom. I think Tanev signed right after our show on Friday, so yes, we haven't. Uh, that's new for the show. Those three, I'm really happy after seeing what they what they went well. Ekman Larson, what the asking was, but for what Markstrom and Tanev went to Calgary for, um, I'm really happy to see Benning didn't concede and give them that even a slight discount as I'm assuming they both would have gone because I heard Benning was um, Benning was near like he was almost near and giving marks from five years which doesn't make any sense at all uh, so I'm happy about that on the other side Stetcher and I already talked about Toffoli Stetcher same thing two by 1.75 why why wouldn't you be able to give that to him? I, and it, and it would have been less. It, it would have been a home, it, literally a hometown discount. Um, good British Columbia guy in Troy Stetcher. And he loved playing for Vancouver. I'd say that about just about everyone, but Stetcher out of anyone on that team, he loved playing in Vancouver, I think more than any of them. And, and I, I think the quote was directly from Benning or something very close, but they, they basically told Stetcher, you just wait, we're going to see what the other <laughs> options are. And you, you just like wait in the wings and we'll come to you if we need you. So I don't blame him right. for saying like, no, I'm going to go. Um, 
that's just really frustrating to see how that was handled. Uh, those are the negatives, but again, a lot of positives. So in terms of Nate Schmidt, uh, yeah, Vancouver kind of took advantage of Vegas's situation. And yeah, obviously I'm pretty happy with it. I saw a lot of Canucks fans on Twitter. Fire Benning was trending. Well, fire Benning has been trending for like a week, but okay. um, a lot of Canucks fans on Twitter immediately pointing at uh, the Schmidt contract. I, I like, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's no. not a steal, but, but for, for that kind of deal and how it happened and after losing Stetcher and Tanev and you clearly need to kind of shore something up there. I, I don't know why anyone could, would complain about that. I, so I don't know. It's, it's been, it's been up and down. I, it sucks seeing like Vancouver's core. And, and I think we've talked about it on the show in this playoffs was so, like they they just seemed like they were having such a good time they were gelling so well together and then like three of the most important guys plus to Foley left so now I know before you went on your canoe trip that Tanev had signed with Calgary I think like the night before Friday night yeah when did you find out about Schmidt and Stetcher Stetcher I was um so it was about a six hour drive up to the provincial park where we were how do you just tell people where you were what'd you do Let's just take a break. Uh, so, how was your week? You my do? weekend was pretty fun. Uh, on Saturday, we drove up to Killarney Provincial Park and we went on a three, four day, three night canoe trip through through the the Quartzsite Mountains up there. So, on the and no service except for Monday afternoon when we went on a hike up up a mountain. Uh, and I'll get to that in a second. But on the drive up, <laughs> on the drive up, um, Stetcher signs and that that just that's just kind of fr- it's it's more frustrating emotionally but that's that's when i found that and then monday uh when i'm i have service on top of a mountain i see uh the defoli the defoli deal and the hall and the hall deal i think and yeah the that like it's 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 super frustrating Sorry, did, so did you not find out about schmidt until you came home uh, yeah, yeah. In the just as we got in the car, um, I was I was really confused. And also Louis Domingue, I didn't realize he. Not that it's important, but I didn't realize that he also went to Calgary. Uh, I think until like yesterday. But um, it's really it's really difficult because like you get the notification on your phone, but you can't like you can't go on Twitter, you can't see any reaction. So you just you have the notification and you know what's happened, and that's it. And you just kind of like you just sit there and have to stir with your own yeah, thoughts. So it, it's I don't know, but enough about me how was your guys this weekend oh it was good but uh <laughs> yeah let's, let's circle back um, i didn't uh i didn't uh i didn't get, go on a big canoe trip i uh i sat around the house and prepped for this show okay so now that we have sort of luke's uh long-winded thoughts on benning and the vancouver canucks and let's still provincial park and you know and canoeing and service on a mountain everything let's uh Let's still talk about Vancouver and let's talk about the good thing Benning did. Nate Schmidt for a third round pick. I don't really understand the move from Vegas to trade within your division. Uh, such a strong Are they player. Though? What does Nick Foley? Nick well, we'll get what? to that. That's a whole other. You, you did he say there. Nick Foley? What does Nick Foles know, guys, about Vegas' no, no, no. situation? Did, did you say? Did you say what Nick you, Foley? What's his What's his first name? Bill Foley. <laughs> but you know, uh, why who, was I thinking you, of Nick Foles? Like Luke's just having a day. Did you say Mick or Nick? I thought you said Mick, as in like the hardcore oh, no. ECW WWE wrestler. 
That's what I thought. Never heard of that guy in my life, but really? All right. Do I have to pull up a picture of Mick Foley? We are distracted today, aren't we? Yeah. (laughs) No, it's okay. I I pull him up. Why not? Um. All right. So let's. Okay, that's not who. I don't think he's in NHL. That's Mick Foley. That kind of looks like Jordy Ben. Yeah. Anyone anyone with a beard looks like like lumberjack thing. Okay. Well. All right. Sorry, Pat. Get us back on topic. Nate Schmidt. Okay. So there we go. And. Jumping the gun there, Luke, with the whole division thing. Uh, so oh, right. Nate, Schmidt, <laughs> Nate Schmidt went to the Vancouver Canucks for a third-round pick. I don't I don't understand why Vegas would trade within their division. But, again, Vegas Vegas fans can complain about the return. But Vancouver is really just doing them a favor. So they wouldn't have to give up a lot anyway, seeing as they're helping out the Vegas Golden Knights. And if you're Vegas, you get a third, whatever. And your, your team is still strong. What do you think of this move? And, and Luke, I'll – Give this back to you right away. Are you happy with this addition? Contract aside. Do you want me to talk about my canoe trip or no? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. And again, a lot of Canucks fans complaining about the, the contract he's on, but uh, money's not ideal, but the term is pretty good. And he's a, he's a young ish guy. So, and that's exactly what they needed. That is exactly what uh, Vancouver needed, especially after um the TANF and Sister Departure. So I'm uh, I'm pretty okay with that. Now I'm a bit concerned about Vancouver's offense, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get there. Benning, Benning still has a few months to work his stuff out. Nick? Yeah, no, I think it's a good deal for uh, Vancouver. Low price to pay, a third-round pick is not much. I think overall, Nate Schmidt had a pretty off year last year so i think this is a good bet again a third round pick is not much to pay in terms of taking a bet on a player like nate schmidt who has proven in the past that he's a really effective defenseman and you know after losing tanev and stetcher i think it's a good addition for vancouver and you know again it sends the right message that the canucks still are trying to get better even if they lose some guys along the way so i like this one for the canucks okay let's one last thing on the um, Vancouver Canucks. I'll pose this question to both of you. Was Jim Benning okay? We'll get to is Jim Benning a good GM, and I want to ask your thoughts as, on Jim Benning. What a, as a loaded whole. question. That's is not a loaded. Jim, oh, well, okay. hang on, because I'll, okay, I'll hang okay. on. Did you, did you want to do a full hour on this? Because I bet we could. <laughs> we could. We could do a full. We could do hours on all of our general managers. Um, but let's just. Do you think he was too cautious? And l- allow me to just get this ready here, because. Look, I agree with you 100%, and both. I think we're all in agreement here. He was wise to not get involved with Ekman Larson. He was wise to not um, overpay, not overpay, but but give Markstrom the money that he rightfully deserved. Oh and yeah, don't say that's overpaying Markstrom. He's a superstar. that he rightfully deserves, and um, that's fine. And I think letting Tanev walk was a good thing, even though you lose a fantastic locker room guy. That's all. That's fine. You you get rid of that. He was, that was a good move. And I think he deserves the credit there. It's, it's pretty easy to not GM, but GMing is the hard part. And that's what, that's where Benning is under a lot of fire right now. So I don't know. it sounds like he's under a lot of fire from you for not doing no, anything, but no, no, no. But that's the thing is because I'm reading online, I'm reading the fire Benning hashtags. I went through a bunch of them today. People are really, really, really upset, like really pissed off because you had a team that went to the, that almost went to the cup final. Um, you lose Troy Stetcher. Now, Troy Stetcher is a third-pairing defenseman. He's a good third-pairing defenseman. Not a huge loss, but that's someone you ideally want to keep. All right? So, Vertanen goes to arbitration, and he's expected to make anywhere from $3 million, 
when Toffoli walked and made $1.5 million more. Erickson, Sutter, Roussel, Beagle, Furland, um, Myers, and Ben are taking up almost $28 million in the cap. People are upset at Jim Benning. People are upset at the Canucks right now because they don't know what's happening. What do you think about this? I'm posing that question to you, Luke. Yes. He, yes, that's my answer. Um, was Jim Benning cautious? Yes, but did he have a choice? Um, it's funny because he's kind of he's kind of painted himself into this corner, and then and then he's like kind of getting himself out of it. And a lot of people are praising him, but it's like, hold on, he's the one that that put himself there in the first place. So could you imagine if? Not even to say that, not even to say if he never signed Erickson. Let's just say, imagine if he signed Erickson six by four and, you know, maybe knock a million off Beagle, maybe knock a million off Sutter, though that's not really the same thing. Like all these, all these decisions he's made have, have pushed him to this point. And we've seen it. We heard it a lot with the Toffoli situation. We kind of heard it with, we, we, we heard it with Canucks for agency in general. Vancouver just doesn't have enough money. Uh, to sign all these guys and they were pretty explicit about it so was Benning cautious yes did he have a choice not really whose fault was it that he didn't have a choice his own so I don't know like <laughs> I don't know I think I don't not, think you know what you don't what, know <laughs> no one knows was was no, standing do, do I know no we have an idea that we can say that he gave out bad contracts that's what bad, I'm bad that's players. what I'm saying but this year was standing pat, and I've done it like I've done it in this show. Was standing pat on uh, Tanev Markstrom OEL? Was that good GMing, or did he just not have a choice? Would he have pulled the trigger on that trade or those two contracts if he had the room right now? I certainly hope not, but I wouldn't be surprised. So, but then again, it, it circles back because he did the opposite with Stetcher and he kind of did the opposite with Toffoli, but that would have been a bit more money involved. So I don't know, like, yes, optics wise, he was cautious, but um, I, I'm just not sure he had a choice because okay. of, because of poor decisions he's made, um, you know, since 2014 or whatever. Okay. That, and that's, I think that's perfectly reasonable. The only thing, I guess, the one that's really upsetting people is Vertanen going to arbitration. Vertanen is someone, I, I don't know how, I don't know what, management is doing with Jake for and how they're treating him and the fact that he's expected to make they three. hate him they basically said they hate him but they're keeping him around but they're keeping him and they now qualified he's him and not stature like and they're and they're gonna and he's gonna get probably three million dollars and to fully got 1.5 more and that's where people are upset because Vertan probably could have been moved and I think that's what people wanted Nick sorry been quiet for a couple minutes because yeah Luke, I, I've been I've been cut go, out of this what do you what do you think about all of, all of this uh, Benning, good GM, bad GM. Was he wise to be cautious? Was he too cautious? What do you think? Uh, well, I'll start. I don't think Jim Benning's a good GM. I've never really thought that Jim Benning was a good GM. I think, um, you know, I compare him a lot to Pierre Dorian. He, you know, he does the odd good thing, but usually that just covers up a series of really bad things. Jim Benning has given out a lot of bad contracts in the past. I look at guys like Tyler Myers and Jay Beagle who make way more than they should. And that causes them to lose players and have guys like Stetcher fall through their fingers. Um, 
you know, I think in a lot of ways, Benning has lucked into the success that Vancouver has had right now. I think the fact that Patterson felt them at five in the draft and Hughes felt them at six in the draft, I think that's, you know, a remarkable two strokes of luck for Vancouver for them to turn out as good as they have been and lead this new era of the Canucks forward. I think he's going to regret losing Markstrom because he finally unearthed a starting goaltender out of him the past couple of years. And he's going to regret losing him and replacing him with Holpe. You know, no matter what anybody tells you, it's a massive downgrade. I think defensively, um, you know, losing a guy like Tanev is fine, but I think it's a, I think it's better for Vancouver that they lost Tanev and didn't commit as much money to him as Calgary did. But I think that's a product of Benning not having the space to re-sign Tanev. Cause I think if he did, he would have signed Tanev to that type of deal that he got in Calgary. Whereas I think they're going to be better on defense and in long-term cap situations for not signing a guy like, uh, like Tanev. I also think I've been extremely questionable in the past of the rumors with Toffoli and would that lead to them trading Brock Besser again, I think it's lucky that Toffoli and them didn't end up working out because of the cap issues, because I think he would have ended up compensating for that by trading somebody like Besser. Again, that's just my own assumption, but based on his track record, I just think, you know, the Vancouver Canucks and you can't deny it are on the rise and they're getting better. These young players are developing really well, but I don't think Jim Benning is going to be the GM that brings a cup to this team. I can't see it. Luke, get your finger wagging, and uh, you look like you want to say something. Which part? Um, oh, uh-huh. I don't think anyone is really hoping that Holtby is going to replace Markstrom. I think it's more so you had two options. Ob- okay, obviously, Markstrom and Demko weren't both being kept. I think they made that pretty clear. Um, Demko has one year left. I, I wouldn't have wanted them both to be kept anyway. I think it came down to, would you rather have Markstrom and then um, not, you know, some, some nobody backup, or would you rather run Demko and Holtby and saving money? Um, don't quote me on that. Cause I think it might actually be pretty, the two of them might actually be pretty close to 6 million, which I'm assuming Markstrom would get, but no, nobody's saying Holtby's going to come in and, and fill in where, where Markstrom left off. I think, my understanding at least is that Demko is going to, is going to fill in 75, 60, two thirds. And then Holtby's going to fill in that last third. I think okay, it's but gonna... the, the, you see, there's another philosophical error, I believe in Benning's part, because I think a lot of the Demko conversation really shifted after those couple of games versus Vegas no. in the playoffs. And, and it... I know that might've been the plan for a while, but Thatcher Demko at the end of the day has played 41 NHL games, expecting him to play two thirds of a season next year, which, you know, if it's an 82 game season, that's more than 41 games. Okay. If it's a, something like a 40, 50 game season, you're still expect expecting Thatcher Demko to shoulder the majority of the starts for an NHL team, given the fact that he is, relatively unproven at this level in 27 games last year, he had a 905 save percentage. Like, you know, Thatcher Demko might turn out to be a good 
solid starter in the NHL. He's only 24 years old, but trusting a team that's on the rise like Vancouver to be, you know, Markstrom saved them a lot of times this year, trusting Demko to do the same thing for this young team, I think is a massive philosophical error on the part of management. And you have, you have Holtby who granted, look the whole uh, one sec, Luke. And I don't, I don't hate the Holtby deal because you have, but there are elements that like he's a he's a streaky, inconsistent goaltender. And maybe the change of scenery will do good things for him. And maybe he'll be a great mentor. But you also want a great mentor to be pretty consistent himself when mentoring someone like Demko. Go ahead. I, I agree this is a gam. I Nick calls it a quote unquote philosophical error. I would rephrase it as a gamble. Um yeah. Playing your goalie situation safe would have meant keeping the starting all-star elite goaltender that you have created in Vancouver would be keeping Markstrom around. A, a gamble would be committing to Demko, bringing in that, that buffer goalie. Uh, and we, I've talked about, I've talked about whoever that would be a lot. I didn't expect it to be Holtby bringing in a buffer goalie to, to be there for one, two years. Holtby was signed to two years. I think it's, it's an, it's a gamble. It's a fairly big gamble, but I am, I would take it. I'll, I'll finish my thought on this. I, I call it a philosophical error because I don't think gambling is something that you should be doing when you have a younger team like the Canucks and given just, I, the, given how weak their division is and given how, you know, if they find themselves in a Canadian division next year, again, that's a massive opportunity for them where they could be the second best team in that division, potentially even the first, seeing how things go. I don't think a gamble is something that you should be taking at this stage with the Canucks. I think the gamble, I think a gamble would have been something they should have taken two years ago. That's something you take when you're in the earlier stages of your come up. Not right now. I think right now is when you need a guarantee good starter, somebody like Markstrom or somebody better than Holtby on the market. I see, I, I, I know, I see exactly what you're saying. Um, and I, and I agree, I would agree with you in, in, in the sense that, yeah, that is what Vancouver needs right now. But I honestly think running, trying to run with this, with this Holtby and Demko has a, has a much, much higher payoff than, um, than, than committing and not, not to say not to say committing to Markstrom would have been a safe but but uh you know with a low payoff like he's, he's a very good goalie but I I just think Vancouver committing to Demko running with a with a one to two year buffer is is the the best thing they can do and would if it works would push them much farther than if they just if they I was going to say settled if they just went with Markstrom okay <clears throat> this is like that episode when we talked about minnesota the entire time um <laughs> anyway uh look it's a weird situation and i think looking at it now they're in a obviously they're worse off than they were in the playoffs but i wouldn't say this is a good position to be in as a canucks fan or as, as jim benning and the Vancouver Canucks. it doesn't look good but it's fixable it is able you can improve it you have edler who's six million dollars off the books don't know what his next contract's gonna be like don't know if he looks to extend. Don't know if he goes somewhere else. Brandon Sutter, 4.3. He's done next year. Tanner Pearson, 3.7. Uh, Sven Berchi, 3.3. 
there's there's contracts that that are movable there are players who will free up some space for Vancouver so it is not completely terrible it's just not a fantastic position for a team that looking at we were all saying this year excuse me that they were the they were the Canadian team they were what Winnipeg was supposed to be three seasons ago they are finally the team who who can do it and I just think I don't think he had a I don't think he botched it but I just think a series of mistakes over the course of his tenure led to some pretty weird moves. And I think I would lean towards agreeing with Nick that it is a gamble. Demko and Holtby. Um, Demko is not fully established and Holtby is very inconsistent. Uh, that's all. Anyway, we can anyway, move on now. Whatever. <laughs> we can move on to a different team. Uh, that's the Edmonton Oilers. They signed Mike Smith. Okay, the big one, Tyson Berry. Um, 3.7 mil. It, you you want to talk about a gamble. Here it is. Yes. Uh, going back to Mike Smith and that, oh man, that's sure. That, that, that's a move. It's an interesting one. Not the one I would have made. There were a lot of goaltenders available on the market. Not sure why they saw that Mike Smith at 2 million bucks was the best option there. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's a bit of a misstep from Edmonton. I like the Barry gamble a bit more. I think one year term is good for that. And, you know, you see how he plays. So I think overall that move is good for, uh, for Edmonton. I don't like the Smith one very much, especially no. when they plan on being better next year. Yeah. Smith will not make them better. Um, from Kingston though, shout out, uh, to him, but yeah, in all seriousness, I don't understand, uh, this move. I feel like there were better options. You probably could have paid a goalie a little bit more. Mike Smith is not the answer. I don't know why they did it when they did it. It's not like, it's not like they were running out of time or, or like, like the list of goalies was suddenly none. And there's, Oh, well, we better, we better commit to Smith what we can. It's just, they did it in like the first few days of free agency. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mate, well, you know, if you did that later in the off season, when you were kind of running out of options, I guess that makes sense. But yeah, committing to him now is putting a lot, a lot of faith in someone I would have very little faith in. Speaking of goaltenders, uh Gorgiev two years 2.425 that's pretty nice solid you know Rangers aren't going to be spending a lot of money in the next couple of years on their goalies which is massive given uh how much talent that team has it's a good deal all right let's uh we have a segment we want to get to but before we two other teams we want to touch, touch on that's first one's the Chicago Blackhawks um they traded Brandon Sod and Dennis Gilbert who is an AHLer to the Colorado Avalanche in exchange for Nikita Zadorov, who's an RFA, and Anton Lindholm, another AHL player. Um, to quote the doc, Stan Bowen, what are you doing, my guy? Um, doesn't seem like the best, the most logical move. I know, I understand Chicago had to clear space in that sod contract. It wasn't a bad contract. It wasn't great, but $6 million for a guy who will score more than 20 goals, who's a who can generate a lot of offense. You get Nikita Zadorov, who I think is pretty overrated i don't understand this he's move big. what do you guys think he's big he's big that's what that's the is. thing you can't that's teach size yes exactly um yeah wow i really don't understand this one for chicago um you know a lot of people saying this really angered their veterans especially jonathan taves who came out and said how shocked he was because you know he had not been told anything uh about a rebuild him kane and keith had not heard anything about some sort of a rebuild or a step back for the Blackhawks. Again, the status quo there for the longest time has been, you know, we've got these guys, we're going to try and make the playoffs every single year. They did that this year. They got in versus Vegas after winning a qualifier versus Edmonton. You know, 
it's an interesting move for Chicago, but I don't really understand it at all. I think first and foremost, it's a great pickup for Colorado. And I think Saad is going to work wonderfully with their forward group there. And I think he's just the type of player they need, but I would have been fine with this deal for Chicago if they were in search of one of Chicago or one of Colorado's many defensive prospects. Uh, Connor Timmons is there and, you know, probably could have gone after him, Uh, you know, maybe to a higher extent, Bowen Byram, uh, if Chicago maybe ponied up a bit more in their offer. But I think that should have been the target for Chicago is to get some prospects in the door, as opposed to Nikita Zadorov. He's 25. He's an RFA. He's still going to cost a bit. He's not very good, but, you know, he probably has more perceived value than what he actually brings onto the ice, which is, you know, a theme that we see very often and we talk about a lot. But in terms of that, I don't understand this deal for Chicago. If they want to take a step back, take the full step back, bring in prospects, as opposed to, I don't want to say a lateral move, but it it sort of is with this trading sod for Zadorov because, uh, I don't know what Chicago sees in him, especially with the defensemen they have coming up in their system, Bockfist, Mitchell, Bowden. It yeah. it makes no sense to me. Yeah, I think I, I don't I don't hate the idea of the trade. Um, and that's kind of what you've been saying, Nick. Like I I don't hate I don't hate what the trade signals for Chicago. Um, obviously the trade itself isn't great. What I do want to touch on is the the issue. Um, like the Taves issue, if, if, if it's a communication problem, if that's what, if that's what the issue is that, that, you know, the direction the team is heading is kind of up in the air and, and no one's really sure that's fair. But if, if, and now, and now I've heard, I've heard a couple of different angles on this, but the sense I kind of was getting is that the Chicago veterans are kind of disagreeing with the idea of a rebuild right now which I think is kind of silly if uh, uh, pardon my language, but if, if I'm being honest, like Chicago has been good. Kane and Taves have been good for, for quite a while now. Uh, I think, I think a rebuild and, and you can't, you can't say as long as we have Kane, unless it's like Crosby and Malkin, um, not, not to say Kane and Taves are a step down, but you can't say as long as we have Kane and Taves, we're making the playoffs every year. We're a contending team. Don't give me that, Pat. Um, I think, I think eventually you do, you do have to say, okay, like, yeah, they're getting our, you know, our, our core is getting a bit older. I think we need to start maybe accepting where we're at and making some moves. So if, if Taves is upset that they're, that they're going into a rebuild, I would say like, shut up. No, like, yeah, I don't think, I don't think you really have, (laughs) You, you can really be upset about that. Yeah. Um, regardless, you know, in terms of this trade specifically, I think the idea is fine. I think, I think, I think the direction they've kind of a, appear to be going in makes sense. Um, but, you know, specifically this trade, um, you know, isolate this trade. It doesn't, doesn't okay. exactly make sense. I would agree with that. And perhaps being, I don't think it's them being upset because from what I, the way I interpreted it was they were upset with the moves that were leading into the rebuild, not rebuilding itself. Cause there are teams that have sort of rebuilt it on the fly. You could say, I think if there was some sort of, if it was disclosed that they would rebuild and try to get assets, I don't, I think that they would be okay with that. It's the fact that the way Stan Bowman has gone about it has been pretty damaging to this roster and damaging to the careers of two of the best 
two of the better players in the league. And we can, we can debate the Kane, Taves, Crosby, Malkin thing. I think when you do have Patrick Kane, I do think you can bank on making the playoffs or at least hoping to make the playoffs when he is that good. Taves is another story, although I do think he is pretty underrated. It's that's what it's about. It's the trades he's making. You got Brandon sod event. You, you basically oh, turned Antonio Panarin that. into Nikita Zadorov. If you look at it that way. Well, yeah. Okay. And, and hit the way he trades, Look, I think Chicago drafts well. I love the Lucas Reichel pick. I like Adam Boakvist. I like I like what they have in their system. But Stan Bowman has made a series of trades that has damaged this roster, and it's leaving Blackhawks fans wondering when they're going to win a cup again, when they're going to contend again. Because look, you don't want to waste the years of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, and but I don't, these moves don't help them. It doesn't help them at all. I, I agree with you there. I like I I agree that the moves being made specifically, yeah, they 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 don't necessarily make sense. But I think the the direction that that the team is going in does make sense, and I don't think I don't think having Kane and Taves one hundred percent implies you should be contending for the Stanley Cup every single year. Just the natural cycle of how teams work that just doesn't really make sense to me. But that's the thing; I don't see a direction with Chicago, even though it, even though it might be disclosed that they're rebuilding. I don't see a clear cut plan, and this is sort of what I was talking about sure, Montreal yeah. a couple of years ago, where. Chicago has good young players. They have good players now. I think Montreal's sort of, I don't want to say they're still, I don't want to say their direction's more, their direction, Montreal's direction is more clear today. I would say that and a lot more defined. And I think Montreal's in a better position than Chicago right now. But Chicago, the way they're going about retooling or rebuilding isn't improving it because they haven't actually recouped a lot of younger assets, younger prospects. Nikita Zordorov is not that good. Um, you know, the Ali Matic cap dump was fine. And then like the Dominic Kubelik signing was fine, but that also has people upset because look in two years, he's depending on what happens to this team, he could easily go to free agency. So I get what you're saying, but let's uh, let's move on from there. And let's touch on one other team before we get to our fun little segment. That's the, uh, our favorite, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, do they have their cap stuff figured out? Maybe they traded Andreas Janssen three, who was making 3.4 million uh, for three years in exchange to the New Jersey Devils for Joey Anderson, who is an RFA. I don't think they've signed him yet, unless I've missed it. No. Um, I, I liked Andreas Janssen quite a bit. I thought he had tremendous upside. I thought he was at least a second-line left winger with a ton of skill, a lot of speed to burn. I liked him. But is this enough for Andreas Janssen? What do you guys think? Uh, I, my first reaction was no, because I, like you said, Pat, I think Andreas Janssen has a good amount of upside. Um you know, Joey Anderson is, you know, a, a bit more unproven than Andreas Janssen, but in his brief uh, cup of coffee in the NHL, he's been a pretty effective player. Um, you know, seems like the type of player that Kyle Dubas would go after. I was surprised, though. I thought the Leafs would have more so just gone to recoup some picks in this type of deal. Um, you know, again, not to say that Joey Anderson is a bad player or anything like that, but with uh, I, I don't think he has the same upside that somebody like Andreas Janssen has, and that's where I see the faults in this deal for Toronto. Um, I like it a lot for New Jersey. I think, again, that's exactly what they need. They need some sort of a scoring winger there to complement all the centermen, the young centermen that they have now, and uh, Janssen will fit in well with that. I just think Toronto should have tried to get more here, but there's going to have to be more now from Toronto because – uh, they still have three RFAs on the board. They're going to have to sign Anderson before he can play for them. And uh, they really don't have the cap space to do it right now. So there's going to have to be another player move there, it seems like. I think, like, yeah, again, isolate it. It's not a great trade. It's not an equal trade. But for for the position Toronto is in, 
they didn't really have a choice. And I'm guessing, um, and for the direction they wanted to head, didn't really have a choice. And I'm guessing New Jersey kind of uh, understood that. Um, I, I, as a Leaf, if I if I were a Leafs fan, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind it because it that's kind of exactly what they needed. I think everyone knew this was coming, and you probably weren't going to get equal assets back for him because that's just not how it works. So, um, yeah, it's it's fine. You're 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 moving money out. Probably uh, we'll see what happens when when they do eventually sign him. But I, as a Leafs fan, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate it. It's kind of what needs to happen. Yep, that's what happens when you are trying to get rid of an asset. They're not going to, most likely, not going to give you equal equal value when you're in a cap bind like Toronto. I don't think that's an unbelievable. I don't think that's like a, a crazy loss for Toronto, given how good their team is. But Andreas Janssen still a good player, and I'm excited to see how he fits in New Jersey. Um, last team, and I'll basically just hand this over to Nick. I was supposed to lead with this, and then I honestly just forgot. So that's my bad. But. Um, yeah, might, might as well go from one stream, <laughs> extreme to the other, lead with them versus uh, end yeah. team reports yes. with them. But uh, so, this, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I think this was the bigger, probably the biggest move today so far. Uh, Evgeny Dadanov surprisingly signs with the Ottawa Senators, former Florida Panther, three-time 25 goal scorer. Uh, safe to say that nobody saw this one coming for the Senators, but on paper, at least, it looks like a really, really good signing. Three years mm-hmm. $5 million a year uh, are good friends. They're not our friends. We don't actually know them, but uh, we reference them a lot. Evolving Wild uh, projected them at six years, uh, or sorry, projected him to come in at a six-year deal worth $7 million saying, uh, you know, scores like Dadanov usually get paid a lot higher. So getting him at three years, $5 million seems like a really good get for Ottawa. Uh, I'll swing it over to you guys, Luke. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Evgeny Dadnov? And do you think this is a good move for Ottawa? Are you surprised? Yes, and yes. Um, like obviously, really good move for for the Sens. Um, and it's it's kind of nice to see them to see them make a move like that because it seems like over the past little while, it's been it's been you know step forward, step back, step forward, step back. So this is kind of it's it's a nice commitment to see. Um, um, but surprising. I, I have my notes from like last week's show or whatever. I had him staying in Florida, not to say that I was set on that, but I personally, I hadn't really heard Ottawa in the mix at all. And yeah. And it's surprising given the fact that, uh, yeah. Garriott came out and said that Dadanov uh, seemed to be their primary free agent target this entire off season. And, and you know, in, in retrospect, it actually, it, it makes quite a bit of sense. Um, I don't know why, you know, more, and you're obviously more hooked into Sens land than I am, but I don't know why it wouldn't have been more of a, of a talking point. So all things considered, uh, yeah, just cause it's a surprise doesn't mean it's not a good deal. And I, I'd be, I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah. And you know, he had uh, 47 points in 69 games last season, 70 points and 65 points in the two years before that. And, you know, it's been a long time since uh, a free agent of that quality chose the Ottawa Senators as a destination, especially for Dodona of somebody who seemed like he had a lot of suitors and a lot of value in the free agent market. You know, I'd put this in the same universe as some of the better free agent signings in Ottawa Senators history on paper you know, guys like Dominic Hasek have come through the door. Uh, Alexei Kovalev, who Pat probably knows well, 
and uh, Clark MacArthur, some of the better signings that the Senators have made. Um, and, you know, it, adding a player like of Dodonov's quality is something you don't get the chance to, something that Ottawa mm-hmm. definitely hasn't had the chance to do in the past few years. So I think I really like this one. And um, I hope he does well in Ottawa. And, you know, he's now their highest paid forward, if you can believe that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an interesting fit, but I think one, at least for now on paper, uh, looks really good for Ottawa, and he should fit in well with that forward group there that's up and coming. And, yeah, maybe takes a bit of pressure off some of the younger guys. And just real quick to talk about Ottawa, because um, that is a good fit. I really I really like that. They, uh, the report was Duclair was asking somewhere around four. Is that correct, Nick? Yep. Yeah, so, that's what it seems like. Or sorry, Ottawa may have offered somewhere in around four. Okay. And uh, yeah. Because then LeBron went in and said that the door is still open for them. And look, Ottawa's top six could be pretty decent if you have um, Vitaly Abramov. I'm not sure if he's expected to make the jump. With yeah, Ottawa I think I think year. more so the expectation would be on Drake Batherson to make okay. that jump as opposed to Abramov. But, um, you know, I did tweet this out because you bring up Duclair, Pat. I did tweet it out right after that, um, you know, if you're offering me Duclair at five versus uh, Dodonov at five, I'm taking or Dadanov, Dodonov. That's going to be have, have to be something I figure out too, which one it is. Uh, I'll go with Dadanov for now. Dadanov, I would take him at five as opposed to Duclair any day. I think Dadanov's all around game is much tidier. He's better in his own zone. He doesn't hurt you defensively while also driving offense pretty effectively in the same way that Duclair does. So I definitely like this one. And I think it's a good use of the uh, cap dollars that the senators had available. Uh, I will lead into a quick thing on uh, the Canada division. If you guys are good with that, then on senators talk. Yeah. So we talked a lot about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the All-Canada Division possibility in the NHL. Uh, You know, a bit more fuel was added to that fire yesterday as the Vegas Golden Knights owner, Bill Foley, uh, said, I think it sort of slipped out when talking about Nate Schmidt and the Vancouver Canucks, said, yeah, but they're going to be in the Canadian Division when referencing Vancouver. We talked about this a lot a couple of weeks ago, guys. Uh, I'm going to pull up a couple of hypotheticals here. Saw these on Twitter. This one is from World at World Hockey RTP. This is just a quick proposition of what the NHL divisional alignment could look like with a Canadian division. Uh, Pat, I'll throw it to you first. Do you like this one here with a Canadian division, a Pacific Central, an Atlantic Central, and a Metropolitan division? I like it. I just think it would be really exhausting. And the amount of Habs, Leafs, Habs, Sens, Leafs, Sens uh, games would just be unbelievable. Not good for our mental health. Probably not good for our relationships, given that most of our friends cheer for those uh, three teams. But um, it would be cool. The only thing, the only issue I have with it, and I'm looking specifically at the Canadian Canadian division, is I guess you, you run the risk of having fewer Canadian teams in the playoffs. If, however, playoffs will be working depending on how they, how they set it up. Right. But um, I like it. I don't know how else they would do it. Uh, I well, think... I do have another suggestion here. Sorry. That's okay. more on dad off. Here we go. This is another one from oh, uh, that's weird at RJ Murray that's 05. Uh, so this one has an all Canadian, not at the front, but then 
it sort of gets into a weirder alignment, whereas we see on the western part of the, of the United States, we got the California teams along with Vegas, Arizona, and Colorado. We've got the southern part, which is probably the weirdest division of St. Louis, Nashville, Carolina, Dallas, and the Florida guys, Florida and Tampa Bay. You've got a fourth division with some of the Metro teams throwing in Boston and then you've got a fifth division with Minnesota, Chicago, Detroit, Columbus, Pittsburgh, and Buffalo. That's probably the weirder proposition, given the fact that there are so many different time zones in that scenario. Luke, what do you think of this one? Um, I, I don't know how playoffs would work with five divisions. Uh, I don't really know how playoffs would work regardless if they do something like this, but five divisions, an odd number of divisions doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I would have preferred the other one uh, because yeah, at, least, at least the other one, you could still keep the Eastern Western conference. Yeah, this would definitely. Uh, I, yeah. I don't, I don't really know how, I don't really know what, what like a bracket would look like if you went with this, maybe. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. Not a fan of that. I think, I think uh, it looks like you're they're they're trying to compensate a lot for or they're trying to really emphasize keeping aside from Canada keeping the the like based on geography and close proximity. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how much of an issue that would be in the in the states to do that. I I'd, I'd rather see it uh, like Pacific Central Eastern something like that like the first one you had up. So I. I, I think in general, I, I really like the idea. But um, aside that, um, that Bill Foley thing was the first. It was the first. Uh, sort I guess of the first actual like confirmed acknowledgement sort of source, right? Of, that of this like is a, a thing real of a real thing that this yeah like the, this is actually happening. Other than that, you, you were literally the first person I'd heard it from, and then I'd kind of been hearing people, but no one important talk about it on Twitter. So this is like, this is the first thing that, okay, like, okay, this might actually be happening, which is really cool. I'm surprised, um, I'm surprised there hasn't, hasn't got more traction. I'm assuming it'll get there, but um, in, in terms of, of like an all Canadian division, I, I've said it the last few times we've talked about it and I'll say it again. Like, I, I love it. I, I don't care how, how often Vancouver plays Toronto. I think it would be so. I don't exciting. care how much I hate you guys. I think yeah. it would just be fun at least for, uh, it would, at yeah. least for one season to see yeah. how that sort of thing works out because yeah. you know, the, uh, the TV drama writes itself in that case. So, and looking at like a sport media perspective, that'd be awesome rating wise for Sportsnet when in a time when ratings Absolutely. obviously everything is struggling with COVID that'd be really cool Absolutely, um, and maybe our one chance to get some Canadian teams far into the playoffs this, yes. uh, this might be it um, are we ready? Okay. yes are we ready for the fun segment today yes very okay for this one. today's fun segment uh, for whatever reason we decided to talk about NHL rivalries because I guess it's sort of on the topics of divisions Maybe the realignment that could happen in this COVID world could give us an open window to some more rivalry-based games in the National Hockey League. The NHL, you know, at times it feels like in the modern days lacks that hatred of the older games that they used to have in the 70s and 80s when teams were playing each other more often. Now in a 31, soon to be 32 team league, it seems like, you know, a lot of rivalries are on their way out. But there are still some really, really good ones in the NHL. Uh, we decided to rank, uh, well, we're going to, right in front of all of you now, to rank 26 of the NHL's best rivalries 
Uh, I'm gonna share my screen here. And I did make sure to mention at least each team once. That was my one key here. There's a bunch of repeated ones. Uh, teams that you'll come up like Montreal and Toronto, some of the older ones that have multiple. But uh, we're going to go through uh, our 26 different rivalries here that we've listed out. And we're going to rank them into five categories, starting from the top elite, good, will be good. So that means more so a rivalry that's on the upswing that's going to continually get better. Used to be good, maybe one that's from yesteryear. And who cares? Uh, that one sort of explains itself. But uh, we're going to start here with one that uh, might fall into the who cares category. Uh, this is Arizona and the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't know if the, you can really even classify this one as a rivalry. I think this is a rivalry the NHL definitely wanted to form for both markets. Uh, Luke, what are you saying about the rivalry, quote unquote, between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Arizona Coyotes? Uh, well, I'm guessing this is Arizona's only only one. This in is this. their only mention in this Yeah, list. I don't care. I don't right right into the who cares category i have no arizona doesn't have any rivalry if anyone else patrick any objection cares. on that one no i don't care yeah Ooh, you see all these pop-ups all right there we are all right straight to the who cares uh maybe i'll throw this one back to luke then maybe one he more so cares about the vancouver canucks and the chicago blackhawks obviously a lot of playoff history between those two teams luke uh what is your line of thought on this one used to be good i um and until I, I don't know when it kind of fizzled out but like i guess 10 years ago it, it was at its peak they played each other like three years in a row or something in the playoffs chicago won the first two and then and then vancouver won and then next few years after that it was every time they played super exciting really good games since then i don't know like kane and taves are still there but without the sedines without kessler without burrows it's no one no and now no tanov Edler is the last person from that uh, that 2011 core. So yeah, definitely used to be good, but not I would more. definitely agree with that. I think right when this rivalry lost a lot of sting was in 2015 after the Vancouver Canucks traded Ryan Kessler. I think that was yeah. definitely the nail in the coffin on this one. I think Patrick, a lot of Vancouver rivalries died then. Yeah, Patrick, I will go to you. The LA Kings and the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I never knew... Is this is this a written rivalry somewhere? I never really thought this, of this. This is two. a pre-written one. I think it's the California geography plays into right, it okay. a lot as well, well it's both as basically LA. Yeah, yeah. As I always well as thought, the fact yeah. that they've had a bit of playoff history together, and particularly, I think it was 2014. They had a pretty nasty series right. against one another. Because I always remember LA having good series against San Jose, but if it's as if it's nasty, or if it's as nasty as you said, I guess I'd put it in used to be good because I think LA is a fun team, but I'm also, there should be like a category between who cares and used to be good, but I don't know. Is that, a, I think, I guess that's fair. It used to be. I, I'd agree. Yeah, I, I would I'd say, say fair. just because they both suck now. So yeah. Yeah. I think, okay. I think LA is more on the upswing, whereas Anaheim sort of stagnant. And I would say when they were both at the peak of their powers, sort of back in the early 2010s, I would say that was a good rivalry in the Pacific division for a while. Uh, all right. Toronto Maple Leafs and Boston Bruins. I think this one's going to be higher up the list than our first couple of categories. Pat's Pat thoughts on this one. Um, I would want, I'd want to say great. I wouldn't want to say good or elite because I feel like good is a disservice. And I feel like elite, like there are elite rivalries out there. Yeah, I, I, like I, I'm is... more so meant good as just like, you know, it's not quite elite. 
Okay, then yeah. I, I, but no, if, because this this rivalry is still relatively recent. It's been great. Which is a good thing. It, it is a good if thing. If you don't maybe, put this in elite, what does go in elite? Like I I think this is elite, no question. Because are we well, but this then this plays into recency bias because there are historic rivalries that have just been the most intense thing ever that have died down but are still the biggest rivalries. And, and I would also that. argue the fact that, you know, this rivalry has been very one-sided for the past couple of years. Understatement. Yes. Yeah. So I would, you know, that that's for me, what would keep it out of elite. I would say this is a good rivalry, good competition. The playoff series and the regular season games have been pretty good between these two teams. There is an obvious amount of dislike there, but I would say the one-sidedness to it keeps it out of being an elite rivalry because, you know, I, I think the Leafs fans hate the Bruins fans, but I don't think the Bruins hate the Leafs that much because I think they almost want to play the Leafs all the time because so of win. the one-sidedness yeah, to this, exactly. right? That's how I would break that down. Luke, it's I easy don't know to if be you a... have objections to it. I disagree. I, I think one-sidedness can almost make it better. Um, and I think that we're kind of in the middle of this, of the kind of the story arc of this rivalry because mm. yeah, Boston has dominated them for, like Definitely could be in the middle, but I think we got to go off what it is right now. Uh, I, I'm going to vote good. Pat. I'm also going to. I'm also going to vote good, and I just. Okay. I, I agree. The one sidedness, you know, like you said, Boston wants to play Toronto because it's so easy for them to win, and they just they bully the Leafs. It's as simple as that. It's not really close. So, all right, I'm going to bring up one that was good uh, in the mid part of the 2010s, but maybe could be on the upswing. Uh, Pat, I'm going to defer to you a lot on this one. The Senators and the Canadians. I will go will be good. I want to say good because honestly, like that 2013 series with Griba, Eller, Prust and all that. And then the 2015 series, it was pretty intense with the, with the Subban and Mark Stone slash. Um, it's died down. I don't want to say good because I wouldn't put it on the same level as Toronto, Boston. So yeah. I'll say will be good because I think it's going to get better now that, that Ottawa's on the upswing and like their games are chippy and they get pretty intense. So I think will be good as a, as a perfect spot for that rivalry. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, I would say, again, the one-sidedness factor plays into this. Montreal has, you know, in the past few years, dominated the Senators in head-to-head play. And, you know, Montreal's been a better team than the Senators now for quite a few years. And, um, you know, those playoff series in the mid-2010s were definitely vicious and they were great to watch. But, you know, just the eternal mediocrity of the Canadians and the eternal despair of the Senators, you know, has taken a lot out of that rivalry but I think with the Canadians now retooling and looking on the upswing and the Senators rebuilding and finally starting to look on the ups I think this is one that will definitely be good in a couple of years uh the New Jersey Devils and the New York Rangers I see this one I think of uh Matteau Matteau I also think of Henrik it's over Luke what's that rivalry say to you well it's tricky because I like at first glance, you want to say at least good. Um, but, but, and I'll like, I'll, I'll kind of talk about the three teams there, like the Rangers, Islanders, Devils, there's, there's kind of like, there, there's a triangle there and there's rivalries between all of them, but, but none of them are really, and I think it's because none of the teams are really, well, nah, okay. I may take that back, but to answer the question, I would put this in good, but if there was a category between who cares and good, I'd maybe put it in there. It's, it's just, 
it's some something's just kind of meh about it to me it's it's not as interesting as it could be for something i think that's just new jersey is very meh like yeah i that's why that's why i would angle this one to used to be good it is a good right because that one sort of implies that it is a good rivalry it was good at some point but i think these two teams just haven't been elite teams now for so long that it's lost a lot of the sting and you know it doesn't pack the same punch that the rangers and the islanders still do the fan atmospheres just aren't that good for these games as they probably were back in the nineties when they were both really, really good hockey teams, which is why I would say uh, it used to be good. If you guys are good with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Uh, I dubbed this one, the pajama boy derby, uh, the <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs and the New York Islanders. Uh, this seems one that's on the upswing. I, this is sort of a weird one because I almost say who cares to this because the fact that this is a rivalry is stupid because there was absolutely nothing between these two teams until John Tavares jumped ship. And I think this is more a one-sided one because I think the Islanders uh, just hate the Leafs and the Islanders fans hate the Leafs for taking away Tavares. I would say the opposite. Well, no, no, I, that part is true. No, no, that part is true. Everything you said there is yeah. true. Sorry, I, I jumped in too soon. But I think at this point with the success the Islanders have had, their fans don't care. And the Leafs fans are the ones who are upset with the chance and declaring, you know, John Tavares like his own little day and ceremony. I think they are the ones who were more upset about it when in reality, the Islanders have had all the success. So I, I, sorry, not to, I agree with what you said, but I think at this point, the Islanders are the ones who, who have a better, uh, they seem more okay with it. They got over it pretty quick. I guess I would say. Luke, where would you put this one? I'll let you have the decider. I don't care. I could not care less about about <laughs> okay, who, maybe I'll let who Pat likes have John Tavares. On this one. But but I think the the Leafs fans initially when it happened in the first few times they played the Islanders, they kind of made it a rivalry. Like the Leafs fans kind of gathered around it and just boosted it up. And it, it kind of backfired on them, like Pat described. So personally, I don't care. Um, but between the two teams, I, like some of them would probably say it's a lead. But no, I, I leave it at will be. No, I, I actually, no, I don't even say will be good. I think it would be if there was a tier between will be good and used to be good, it'd be there. But I don't really see this as a rivalry. I just think it's it's two fan bases who are uh, upset with each yeah. other. I don't think the reality. teams themselves like I don't think the games are any yeah. more energetic because it's these two teams. Point. Yeah, I think it's the because- fans. I, I would like, say in the context of like the current NHL, then you could probably put this in good just because what the atmospheres that those games have created, particularly in New York, I think is really yes. good for hockey. All right. I could. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll reach a bit. We'll put this in good. We'll okay. reach just because we maybe, you know, could have had it. I could have added a category in between. Uh, can I? No, I can't. Okay. I don't know what I just did. What happens if you hit settings? What does that do? What's that? That's the little, the little gear, little gear box. Oh. Uh, oh, oh, add row below. Okay, yeah. You know what? We're gonna do it then. We're gonna create a. There you go, Matt. I think you've added like a... three. Have I? I think so. Let's see. We're Uh-oh. gonna choose a Matt category. That's what Uh-oh. we're gonna do. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Technical difficulties. Talk it out, guys. Uh, the next one is the Montreal Canadiens and the Quebec Nordiques. Pat, talk about it. Um. Well. What? No, what, go Luke? ahead. I'm just. I. That's. Sorry. Go ahead. No. What? What are you saying? No. You. You say what you're gonna say. I just. I. That's not what I saw in the photo. But I'm gonna zoom in now. Keep talking. I can't even see that. Um. This one. Okay. 
at its peak, it was elite. And we can refer to the, what was it? The Good Friday Massacre? Was that what, it, was that what they called it? Yeah, the Good Friday Massacre when there was just, I, I swear, like a hundred not 100 there was just a lot of fighting like over the course of like a half an hour guys were getting knocked out there was blood all over the ice they ended the game early they didn't have enough space in the penalty box this was one of the most violent rivalries hockey has ever seen and if you look up the good friday massacre um like a, just the name itself shows how much these two teams hated each other and obviously there's the the language issue that's always sort of been prevalent in montreal so at its peak it was elite it doesn't exist anymore so if there's a used to be elite category, I would put it there. But I think, used to yeah, be good I think is where it fits. by by um, by the two teams that are involved, there's only one category this can go into. So used to uh, be good. So are we saying that's elite then? No, it can't be. No. It doesn't exist <laughs> it anymore. See, I, would I would say, say I would say I would used say to be it's elite. an elite rivalry. Just it, just based on what it used to be, I would yeah. say it's an elite rivalry. But then it should I, go. I would say, I would say but then the it should NHL. go into used to be good. No, 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 no because it would hang on. Because it depends if we're factoring in how recent, and obviously we know Quebec is not a team, but obviously, the, the, obviously, guys, the but the <laughs> the this rivalry at its peak was just it's it should almost have been illegal considering what these guys were able to get away with. And if you, if anyone who's listening has not seen it, look up the Good Friday Massacre because it was just a brawl um, unlike the NHL has ever seen. For that reason, like a rivalry is when two teams hate each other. These people hated each other on like a personal level. It was not pretty. And for that reason, I'd put it in elite. Or yeah. if we can make a and used I, to- I would also yeah. say, I would also say that get it, we're underrating how much people in Quebec that were Nordiques fans still hate the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. I think we're underrating that aspect. And for that reason, I would still put that rivalry in the elite category. All right. Mm-hmm. Next we've got here is the Chicago Blackhawks and the LA Kings. Uh, say, fair to say that one used to be good. Yep. Lacks the sting it once did. Obviously, those two teams had some of the best playoff series we've ever seen um, um, back in the early parts of the 2010s, but I would say this definitely used to be good. Okay. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks, St. Louis Blues. Again, of that same breath, I think the Blues are on, have been on the upswing for a couple of years. They won the Stanley Cup while Chicago's sort of you know falling I could, off i could put that in in meh yeah i could say so there's still some good sting to those games i was thinking of that's a good divisional yeah i was thinking of anaheim la and meh just because i really don't remember them having any nasty series but i don't know what you guys think of that i don't know i, I think that one's good where it is yeah it's fine <laughs> yeah, keep, right. yeah keep it let's just keep we'll it. put that in meh okay all right toronto maple leafs buffalo sabers that one seems pretty one-sided as the Leafs have now been so much better than the Sabres for so long. Uh, obviously good crowds whenever these two teams get together. I like the dynamic between Eichel versus Matthews, but uh, I don't know. It's hard for Buffalo to have a rivalry because I think Buffalo's it's a, it's a geographical yeah. geographic rivalry. I think it's a, it's based on a but was it Like it was, it was, it was good, but was it ever good? You know what I mean? Yeah. Good, yeah. But was it good? Yeah. Like I would almost, like I, I would almost harshly put this in the, not even harshly in the who cares category, because I think Toronto has so many more yes. better rivals than uh, Buffalo. I put it in math. I think like, I'm going to, I'm going to overuse people the care. Meh category. Yeah. People yeah, care, people but it would care. go in the math. All right. 
Nashville Predators, Winnipeg Jets. They had a pretty, pretty good, well, pretty good rivalry, pretty good shippiness to their series a couple of years ago. Uh, again, it looked like these teams were going to battle it out in the Central Division for years to come. And then out of nowhere, uh, arrived the Dallas Stars, St. Louis Blues, and Colorado Avalanche, sort of making these two teams an afterthought in that division. Uh, I, I would say at this point, who cares? Yeah, who cares? I'd say like used to be math. Uh, used to, used to. Right, you, you guys need to stop creating categories. Used to who care? Used to be meh. All right, we're gonna put this in who cares for now because you know I don't care. Yeah. Uh, next, care. we've got the St. Louis Blues and Dallas Stars, another couple of Central Division teams. Uh, you know they've gone at it now in the playoffs once. They had that great series on the route to the Blues Stanley Cup, uh, and they're, they're both good. still pretty good teams in their division. Uh. Uh, I would say so this is another very not a category that's like U E H H H under meh. No, I'd, I'd put this one in good. Really? Uh, I wouldn't. I, I think it lacks the repetitiveness in the playoffs. I think if we get one more good playoff series between these two guys, I can look to good. For now, I'd I, say it's super meh. I would say I just personally don't care, but that's not a category. Patrick personally doesn't care. Can we have that? <laughs> I'm going to put it in there. I'm going to put it in there because that seems to be the most middling because we've got a good, we've got a who cares. I'm going to put it in there. All right. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, Columbus Blue Jackets. This was one I had to do to get Columbus in here. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? You see, I find it weird. I couldn't find a rival for Columbus, but, you know, Columbus been around, sniffing around the playoff scene for long enough. And I put Pittsburgh purely on the fact that they've faced Pittsburgh twice in the playoffs. But uh, I feel like based off the recent series, you could do Columbus, Toronto. That seemed to make more sense given the, not that it's a rivalry, but given the Pierre-Luc Dubois thing. And, and the yeah, hits I, and I the, had enough Toronto ones in here that I didn't want to put that one. That's why. I that's didn't. fair. That's fair. That's fair. But uh, I would say who cares about that? Okay. Because I'm sure Pittsburgh Penguins fans like really don't care about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I think they're more focused on the uh, Washington Capitals and Philadelphia Flyers of the world. Uh, Patrick, I'm going to let you decide this one. Boston Bruins, Montreal Canadiens. I'm going to personally get my bias out of the way here. I would say this one definitely used to be good. I haven't seen the fire and the passion that this one once had. I think back when P.K. Subban was ripping them up in 2014 i think that one definitely would have been good i think you know 50 years ago this one would be elite but i would say recency bias i think tips into me a bit but i'll let you pick this one uh can you you guys want to guess what i think it is elite uh i would say that and because if we're going to factor in the recent the recency of the not recency but the montreal and quebec series we have to look at montreal boston long term the fact that there have been so many like socioeconomic conflicts existing between Montreal and Boston, the Richard riots that prompted fires in the streets, the fights with fans that really kind of continued from the started in the forties when it was at its, not at its peak, but when it was starting continued through the sixties, seventies, eighties died down a little bit in the nineties and then rejuvenated the fact that it stayed consistently um, hateful for this long and no, it hasn't been what as exciting in the past couple of years. The games have been great, but it hasn't been as violent. I think the fact that a rivalry, some people still say this is the best rivalry in all of sports. I, I think I think it would be a mistake to put it anywhere but elite. Call me biased if you want, but I think that's still... You're biased. Well, even... Okay, 
but even though okay, it's not... I, I can listen to those arguments yeah i like I, that i think i think you've convinced me i can okay. uh i can get on board with that luke are you good if we i disagree i would i don't think it should be in good but to appease my uh fellow co-hosts here i would put it in good i would probably put it in used to be good if i'm being honest but yeah whatever. yeah all right pat you convinced yeah, me I'll, I'll, I'll allow it i'll put it in the elite category I, th this next one, I definitely think we can say it used to be good. Detroit and Colorado had some yep. very hateful yep. playoff series in the 90s, but, you know, I completely forgot this was even a rivalry at one point, uh, and I actually got it from a Google search today. Uh, we'll put that used to be good. Uh, back to Montreal. We got Montreal and Toronto. Now, there is hate from both these fan bases. This one, I'm going to stand pretty firm, though. I think this is a good rivalry. I think the lack of playoff battles between these two and the very uh, up and down ranges of success between these two keep it out of elite for me. Uh, it seems like they're always on different swings. Maybe that changes a bit this year, but I would say this is a good rivalry, not an elite one, Patrick. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think, um, I mean, it was hard to have a rivalry when Montreal was so good and we're winning 24 cups constantly over the course of like the 70s and 80s. So, uh, but uh, recently, more specifically from the 2010s onward, there was a point in time when Montreal won like 14 straight against Toronto and then Toronto, you know, they squeaked in a couple wins here and there, but it was mostly Montreal dominating. And then even this year, you know, Montreal went 3-0. and oh, So oh, this I don't Montreal think team sounds really good. That's uh, right. <laughs> the numbers don't lie. So anyway, um, I'd say good. It was not, it was not at the level of, of the elite. I don't understand. I think this should be elite. I don't understand how Montreal and Boston are elite, but Montreal and Toronto are what? not. Oh, I think, no, I, I, I no, I, like, I don't know. It's, it's there. I, I think there's a more storied history to Montreal, Boston, as well as more of a recent part, like Patrick argued uh, in 2014 when they faced each other. I think if the Leafs and, uh, Habs face each other in a playoff series next year this one can go in elite because what would yeah. uh, transpire out of that would be extraordinary but I think uh, I think the lack of uh, you know recency really keeps this out of elite for me I think it's I would, one we hear about more yeah. because we're in Toronto but... I think it could be I think it could be elite if in the next like if Montreal and Toronto play each other in the playoffs that's the thing though Montreal and Toronto haven't played each other in playoffs at least as long as I've been alive Montreal's been playing Boston and look all the time, Toronto and Montreal were good at different times. Toronto past couple of years has been excellent and Montreal has struggled. Now it looks that Montreal can finally not get up to their level of obviously not, but, but get close to that point and hopefully will be better at least, but I don't think it's elite. Right, I think we got about nine left. Uh, this one I would say has been really good for the NHL and not a rivalry they intended. Uh, our second Vegas Golden Knights submission in here, Vegas and San Jose. Again, not one the NHL intended, but one that I like because I feel this has naturally come up. What do you think about Vegas and San Jose, Luke? Elite. Really? Yes. Why yes. is that? Like what? It's been, it's been, I don't know how long Vegas has Three been years they've faced each other in the playoffs twice. Two heck, heck of a series both times. I... Like I, I don't know. You guys are you guys are saying we're not talking about recency bias, and then we are. Uh, personally, I think this is elite. Um, I this is this is one of I think the most relevant uh, rivalries right now. 
So I would, you see, I'm going to go back. And for the opposite reasons, I said a Toronto and Montreal, I'm going to put this in good. It's really good recently, but it's got no history, which I think plays into an elite rivalry. Patrick, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I get what Luke's saying. Um, like, yeah, no, Luke, d- don't get me wrong. I love it for the NHL. And I think this could be an elite rivalry because I like the banter between the two, but Patrick, I'll go back to you to decide the vote. I want to say great. I wouldn't say elite, but I wouldn't well, say there good. isn't, there isn't a great tier. So um, <laughs> a, good, a good rivalry and elite rivalry. It's good. It's, 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 it's good. It's not just good. It's good. So I'd say good. it either goes in elite or will be elite. So that's uh, better. Uh, okay, I, I, I'll get. I guess I'll take the reins on this one. Ottawa and Toronto. I'm gonna put this uh, as our second one with Ottawa in the will be good. Uh, really? you know, I think that's good. I think it's least. good. I'd you put see, that up. Bump I, that I up struggle because it, I know. Growing up, I've you know as a Senators fan, I've hated the Leafs, and I know the Leafs hate the size. I, I I could almost put this in good, but I think good. Do it right I, now. I think, I think Do it right now. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I'll, because I'll look, put this in good. We've seen you act um, when the Sens and Leafs play each other in a, in a certain ilk room a couple of years ago, and I think even even though Ottawa has not been good, these games are fun and like they I, are fun. They are fun. It really has to be it. good. I, I've been I've been to quite a few, and it's always it's always a lot of fun. Um, you know, again, there's a lot of one sidedness to it. Toronto has been much more successful against Ottawa in the playoffs. Um, they've had very, very different ranges of success. Ottawa was um, one of the models of consistency in the NHL throughout the early to mid 2000s, um, all the way up until the early 2010s, whereas Toronto now has definitely taken over in that respect. But, um, you know, I hope with this Ottawa Senators upswing, we get to see them face the Leafs in the playoffs again, because I think that would be uh, that that would be one hell of a sight for the province of Ontario, definitely. And you know, there there is a lot of hate there, and I won't deny that. So I, you guys have me sold. It's good. Uh, this one, I think we're putting in elite. It's the Battle of Alberta, Edmonton and Calgary. Yep. Uh, I I don't know if you guys can see the image very clearly there. I know I don't condone fighting in hockey, but I had to put the goalie fight in there. Uh, the fact that this is a good rivalry again is so good for the NHL and. It, I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on the battle? This is, of like, this is like the only one. Well, no, not the only one. This is like, it has tons of history, but then it also, especially it's after awesome this now. year, it's really good. Now this is maybe I would say the best rivalry in the NHL right now. It is. I definitely I agree. agree with that. I definitely agree. Um, I do condone fighting. I think it's awesome. And I love hockey fights. Don't fight. <laughs> um, and yeah, this is the best current rivalry and everything. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. Uh, I know none of us care about this one, but uh, some people might. We can talk it out. Uh, Tampa Bay and Florida. It's a geographical one, but even if you watch, I watched a couple of highlights on them when I was planning this whole thing out. And uh, I don't know. It's, it, it seems like a big who cares one. I think just because it's Tampa Bay has a good fan base, but I don't think Florida has the fan base to support a rivalry between the two. I yep. would call it good, but mm. I, I I wouldn't want to put it with the other four we have in good. Um, and I think I've made it pretty clear that I disagree with a lot of those. So because I wouldn't want to put it beside like 
Vegas and San Jose or Montreal and Toronto, I, I'd put it in. I feel like meh. there should be a like we should keep meh and who cares, but also one category that's meh, who cares, as one like because, meh comma who cares. Yeah, because meh yeah. implies that there was still something good, and who cares means like it doesn't matter. But there was something kind of there which would make me go, eh, who cares? What do you guys think? I, I would say who cares. Just I really, like I said, it's the one. Very well story. worded, I think. Okay. So who cares? Meh. 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 No. Right, I, I think it should be good. I like if I don't. I'll care. put it meh. I it, this again. It's you know we've got one guy saying good. We've got me saying who cares. Meh is the middle ground of that. Great. This is our list, guys. Um, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Ooh. That's that. It's going to be higher up on the list, and they faced Ooh. each other in the playoffs recently. It's got a good history. I think back to that absolutely insane 2012 series between the two. Uh, Luke, mm. talk us through it. Where would you be putting this one? I I definitely wouldn't put it in elite. And honestly, I don't. I've never. Well, that's not true. This in is its, really in its rivalry. day. It was insane. It but was I, awesome. I don't think I don't think it makes sense to put it in used to be good either because it, it's not like it's not old. I'd put it in good. But it definitely not in meh and definitely not in use. Yeah, I think good is the only place it. I think I would agree, but at its time, like Crosby and. um, That's not the point. This isn't. No, but no, no, we can't. We have to factor in both. We can't say if if we're not factoring in what it what it was, then we wouldn't have we wouldn't even bother having Montreal Quebec there. That's why it's in good. Yeah. Okay. Are you saying it should be an elite? No, I'm saying it should be good, but I'm just saying it used to be insane like crosby and um forgetting his name Giroux. Giroux. thank you uh and there's that crosby with immediate being like i don't like them i don't like any guy on their team and he seems so like pissed off like that was pretty violent in those games i remember like back when philly was in the playoffs and stuff and briere was going on a tear that was fun so i'd say good if there was a really good option i'd put it there but um good all caps like all caps g-o-o-d all right we'll put it there uh rangers islanders i don't want to get hot takey with this i think this is an elite nhl rivalry and i'm going to explain why the history behind it is great these two have been around forever they've always been back in the 80s and 90s they both were always really good and i challenge anybody to tell me a better atmosphere in the league right now between two teams than this one. The Rangers fans pack the Nassau Coliseum now, and it is loud in that building when the two are playing each other. Even when they've both been bad at parts over the past couple of years, they are still loud. And I feel like, I don't know, that for me is what makes it an elite rivalry. I take into that fan perspective a lot. It's, that for me changes the entire thing, but I we need our, I, we need our decibel analytics guy on here. Yeah, I could, I could <laughs> like, you know, I could put this in good to appease the crowd, but I, I think this is an elite rivalry. I definitely don't think it's elite. I would put it in good to appease the crowd, uh, but putting this in good, we're saying it's equal, roughly equal to, again, Vegas, San Jose, Toronto, Montreal, Philly, Pittsburgh. I don't think it's on that level. I would personally put it in meh, but. I, I would I would agree with Luke there. I would actually put uh, I'd put it in uh, because I don't think it's on the level of of as what we put in good. Yeah, right. I uh, you guys are no fun. Uh, 
Washington and Carolina. This seems like a new one. They face each other in the playoffs a couple of times, but I, the lack of hate here makes this a who cares one for me. Yeah, I don't yep. care. Agreed. All right. Uh, two left. Another geographical one. Winnipeg and Minnesota. Again, mm. it's very difficult to pick out rivalries for these two teams. Uh they just both are pretty likable. I or not like I don't know. It's it's a weird <laughs> dynamic. It's they're both meh. Geographically, they're close. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Okay. Who cares? Last one. Uh, one of the more hyped ones of our generation. Washington and Pittsburgh, Crosby and Ovechkin. Man, this one has been you know this one's been talked about so much over the past decade. It's crazy. They've had so many good playoff series against each other. Uh, what do you guys think about Washington and Pittsburgh? I think it's good. Definitely used to be elite. I wouldn't put it in used to be good, so I'd put it in good. Mm, yeah, I would agree. And you have, I think you would have to put it in good, given just the whole Crosby Ovechkin. I I see Pittsburgh rival- and that's Washington a rivalry on its own as the same as Pittsburgh and Philly. I feel like an honor. Well, I would. Yeah, I'd say good. I'd say good, and I feel like an honorable mention. Not that this is a team rivalry, but if we're looking at Winnipeg, Montreal, uh, yeah, Winnipeg, you could do Toronto, Winnipeg, just just because of how much the media tried no. to force the. I think Toronto Matthews, yeah. No, but no, I know, but the, with how much the media was trying to force the Matthews line, uh, that it would be more of a rivalry than something like Vancouver, or sorry, than uh, Minnesota and Winnipeg. All right, no, I'll quickly, I'll wi- I'll quickly recap this from bottom to top here. Uh, or who cares? We've got Vegas, Arizona, Nashville, Winnipeg, Pittsburgh, Columbus, Carolina, Washington, Minnesota, Winnipeg. In uh, our used to be good, Chicago, Vancouver, LA, Anaheim, New York, New Jersey, Chicago, LA, and uh, Detroit, Colorado. In Met, we've got the Islanders, Leafs, Blackhawks, Blues, Sabres, Leafs, Stars, Blues, the uh, Battle of Florida, and New York Rangers versus New York Islanders will be good. Our lone guy is Ottawa and Montreal. I guess you can almost take that out and put this one in the good or Mac category, but it will be good, and mm-hmm. we gave it that little distinction. Uh, our good category is Washington-Pittsburgh, Toronto-Boston, Montreal-Toronto, San Jose-Vegas, Ottawa-Toronto, and the Battle of Pennsylvania, the Flyers and the Penguins. And then in our elite category, a couple of Montreal rivalries with the Nordiques and the Bruins, and probably the best one in the NHL currently is the Battle of Alberta. That is it for our ranking of the NHL's different rivalries, guys. Uh, big takeaways from that, any? Any surprises? Um, I don't know. I disagree the- with you guys on a lot of stuff. <laughs> Uh, I'm leaning more towards maybe putting Toronto up in Toronto, Montreal in the elite. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe. I agree. But, I agree. But, mm-hmm. but also it's not to the same level as the three we have up there. Maybe it would be great. Maybe it would maybe be we, good. Yeah, okay. It would be great. I think that would be. Or good capitalized G O O D. Yeah, no, but it's great. It's not, it's great, but it's not elite. Um, IMO. Anyway, that just about does it for us here. This was a fun one. I love, I love doing these segments. We have more of these planned. Uh, I keep saying this redraft at some point we are going to do a redraft um don't worry about that for those who are worrying about it we will get it done anyway let's uh let's sort of wrap up here um tomorrow we are live from 
7 to 8 p.m. Perhaps we will have a guest on. That's still TBD. But um, I want to remind everyone who tuned into this show that it can be heard on Barnburner Radio Network on its 122 platforms. Check out all of it on barnburner.ca. For all of the news and updates, gentlemen, drop your Twitter handles real quick. Happy yeah, it's Burrows. Uh, oh, the Luke Burrows. All right. And I'm uh, Nikos Robinson at IKOS. Robinson. All right. Patrick Talon, 81. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you tomorrow.